Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. The next seven Sundays, we are exploring one of the ways that God comes close to us through sacraments. We're exploring sacraments in general on the first Sunday sermon, but then we'll take a deep dive into baptism for the following weeks. Thanks for joining us. Our scripture for our first sermon in the sacrament series comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Listen now for a word from God. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God, or to see, God called to him out of the bushes, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then God said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. When I was probably eight or nine years old, my family went camping with some family friends in the Puget Sound in a densely wooded forest. And it was a state park, and so there were many trails that wove back into the hills between the ferns and the trees and the moss-covered rocks. My family followed a somewhat strict orthodoxy as a child, so if it wasn't in the Bible or taught in our public school classroom, ironically, um, we rarely heard about it, especially if it had to do with other forms of spirituality or religious imagination. A new age was literally the biggest insult you could call something. So my religious imagination was pretty plain Jane for a while. And in its deprivation of stories and permission to imagine that safety, I'd kind of given up on believing on any exciting alternative realities for a few years. If it wasn't in front of me, if I couldn't see it, it probably didn't exist. It makes me laugh to think of how unconsciously steeped in the Enlightenment my very religious parents raised me. But the mother of the other family on this trip that we were camping with had a great imagination. She was an elementary school teacher who became a nurse, and she knew what fueled a good story and a good afternoon. So she made up this elaborate story about fairies living in the knots of the trees. And every knot of the tree was a potential home for a fairy, and they flew around the forest but could disappear whenever they heard a human coming along. They ate mushrooms, so if you saw mushrooms, you knew they must live nearby. We spent day after day while camping, running through those trails, looking for fairies. We imagined their homes, warm, bright refuges in those giant old trees. And thinking of their fairy families fluttering around the woods and dodging flying birds. It was the most fun my imagination had had in a long time. And I thought for a moment that maybe things existed that I couldn't see. Maybe there was more than what was directly in front of me. 
I imagine that many of us here have given up on fairy stories, um, maybe unless they star Orlando Bloom. I'll never give up on Orlando Bloom. But as you grow older, you eventually stop looking in the forest for fairies. What a loss. It's truly one of the things I grieve the most about growing older. I don't grieve it because I want fairies to exist or hidden kingdoms to emerge. I grieve the loss of that imagination and belief because I think when we lose it, we throw out more than we bargain for. When we stop believing in fairies secretly living in tree holes, there seems to also be the loss of believing in anything we can't see. And that is tragic indeed. Because there is a whole world that I cannot see and cannot touch and do not understand. Our human hubris may convince us that we are smart and perceptive and our understanding has no uncharted territory. 200 years later, we still live in the enlightenment afterglow that if science can't explain it, it doesn't exist. And so we abandon the invisible and we pledge allegiance to the visible alone to our detriment. Now, the people and the person who have helped me realize this loss have been the Celtic people of Ireland. Deep in their Christian spirituality is a reference for all that is invisible, unseen, and yet deeply felt. They reject the dualism between the invisible and the visible, especially the unconscious preference for the visible. So instead of seeing them as separate, they see the visible as simply the horizon of the invisible. There is an understanding that the invisible among us, whether it's a memory or a feeling or a presence or the divine, is always searching and pushing and creating opportunities to become visible. What we see around us for the Celtic tradition is actually the invisible saying, Look, this is just the surface of what is pulsing all around you. In his book on Celtic wisdom and Amkara, John O'Donohue writes that all our inner life and the intimacy of our soul longs to find an outer mirror. It longs for a form in which it can be seen and felt and touched. And while we cannot grasp, see, or fully understand the mystery of the invisible, we should not give up on believing it exists. And as a people of faith, as Christians who feel and value and long for things we cannot quite put words to sometimes, this is a sacred space to treasure and explore and value. Our Christian faith is directly in the midst of this playful exchange between the invisible and the visible. I mean, we see these moments pop into our sacred texts, right? Take Jacob's dream in the book of Genesis. While Jacob is out in the wilderness on a trip, he never wanted to take to a family he's never met. Jacob falls asleep with his head on a stone. And as he sleeps, he sees that this place he is sleeping has a ladder up to heaven and angels are walking up and down the ladder, attending to the things God needs accomplished. So Jacob wakes up and proclaims, surely God is in this place. And I had no idea. Or consider our passage for today. I think this is a great example of the invisible pushing into the visible, saying, look here, it's important. Moses is out in the wilderness. Note that this is the second time wilderness is mentioned, and it's going to come up again. But Moses sees something truly strange in the wilderness, a bush on fire that is not burning up. 
And it's so strange that he stops what he's doing and gets closer, but not too close because a voice from God commands him to stop and take off his shoes. The ground is holy. The ground is sacred. The ground is the space where the invisible is pushing through to the visible. So touch it with your feet, Moses. Feel the heat. Remember this moment. And Moses does remember that moment. In fact, that moment defines the rest of his life. The burning bush signals Moses' call to help free the people of Israel from the oppression of Egypt. Moses is never the same. And those who visit John the Baptist are also never the same. John is an important figure in the Gospels, and he lives in the wilderness. I told you the wilderness would come up again. John spends his life using the visible to talk about the invisible. He uses water. John's call on his life is to allow the invisible power of transformation and repentance to wash over people through the very visible touch of the water in the Jordan River. The poor, the rich, the religious elite, the travelers, they all go to the Jordan River where John the Baptist puts them under the water and allows God's claim to cover them. And before quarantine, we took the visible bread and cup and blessed each other with the invisible grace of God's goodness each and every week, just like Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the night he was betrayed. Now, when Jesus was quite markedly in the wilderness of crisis and broken relationships, he pushes the invisible love of God into the bodies of his disciples through that visible bread and the wine at the table. Of course, I chose these two New Testament examples of the visible and invisible relationship, John the Baptist and Jesus at the table, because these are our sacred and official sacraments of the Christian faith. These are the places where we see the invisible breakthrough to the visible in such a holy and profound way. These are the visible rhythms and practices that we've handed down over centuries to mark that inbreaking of God's kingdom among us. We say that they are visible signs of an invisible grace. A visible sign of an invisible grace. John O'Donohue reminds us that in that definition, there is a fine acknowledgement of how the unseen world comes to expression in the visible world. The desire for expression lies deep at the heart of the invisible world. So the Christian faith, in particular the Presbyterian understanding of it, claims that wherever we celebrate these sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we bear witness to Jesus Christ, the living and yet now invisible Word of God. And as we do that, God imparts and sustains our faith, orders our common life together, and transforms the world through that movement from the invisible to the visible. What a rich space for imagination. What a blessed space for transformation that lies just outside our control. What a beautiful admission that there is more to life than what we can wrap our human hands around. So take off your shoes. Feel the water on your head. Fill your stomach. Share in that invisible grace as it emerges among us. So today we will participate in one of our sacraments, the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup. Before COVID, this was a weekly table at which we sat tasting the invisible grace of God's care, God's welcome, God's grace. 
It is a table where the invisible love and transformation of God pushes through as a visible blessing. And the story of God's way in the world then lives on. So friends, when you explore these sacraments, these sacred places where the invisible pushes through to the visible, know that in these moments, your imagination, your commitment to God's love and care, and your experience in this world has much territory, both outside of your eyes around you, but also deep within in the invisible currents that move through your body and through this world as God's spirit knows no boundaries and travels everywhere.